Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. If you got your Bibles, Micah, Micah chapter one, and, and, and we'll we'll dive in, in in just a moment. When I was when I was a kid, I, I grew I grew up watching Superman, uh, but not this modern day DC Superman character who apparently has beef with Ben Affleck with uh, with Batman. Not not that Superman. I I grew up watching uh, Christopher Reeve uh, Superman. Uh, uh, you know, the, the OG Superman, uh, Superman in all of his glory, right? With uh, the amazing special effects of the 80s. Uh, how, how many have seen the, like the OG uh, Superman movies? Okay, awesome. 12 people. Um, and so, so it, it, in the movies, you, you, you see, uh, you see uh, his incredible feats of strength, uh, lifting ridiculously heavy objects, uh, you see him like stopping missiles with his bare hands. Uh, you, you see his like laser uh, X-ray vision, uh, and, and, and you know bullets bullets don't don't penetrate penetrate the, 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 the skin of Superman. He can fly around uh, the world. He can fly out of the world for that matter. Uh, and, and of course, to to disguise like all of these gifts and to mask. His identity, uh, of course, like he he wears um, a, a pair of glasses, right? Because <laughs> that you know, and, and takes off the leotard, okay? And so that's that's what disguises his identity. But anyone who's familiar with with Superman, old or new, knows that despite despite who he is. Despite all, all of these gifts, uh, despite everything that he can do, despite all the, 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 the resources that he has access to, Superman is powerless and helpless against what? Kryptonite, right? Uh, he, he is powerless against kryptonite. Kryptonite nullifies the super and it, and it just kind of brings him back down to earth as just a, a, a man, another, another dude with, with no access to the power that, that he can wield. Restoration family, it, if, if the church today is, is powerless, if, if she has lost her identity as the people of Christ with all the, with all the resources of Christ, uh, if, her, if, if her worship, if our worship is just lip service with no life change, it is because we are playing with kryptonite. In the kryptonite of our worship, the, the kryptonite of worship in the church is our idolatry. It is our idolatry. We, we cannot rightly worship if our, if our affections and our desires are set on the stuff of this world and not on Jesus. Amen? Can't do it. So one of, 
one of the five core values of, of Restoration Church, Brian, is, is this value of expectant worship. And we put it like this. We, we say, hey, listen, today most, most worshipers in uh, the American church are, we're victims of our own expectations, we are victims of our own expectations. So if you think about it, whether, whether it's a corporate worship setting like this or whether it's just like in the quiet solitude of your morning devotional, um, we, here, here's, here, the question is this. What are, what are you believing God for, Christian? Like, what are, what are you believing God is going to do? Like, are, are, do you believe that, are you expecting Him to show up are you expecting him to, to speak and to reveal himself? And in the quiet time, even, even now as we gather, is the body of Christ, do we expect him to show up and reveal himself? See, s- Scripture is, is chock full of these, of these God encounters. It's chock full of these, these God encounters, and, and, and it, Scripture points to a, a God who reveals Himself to us, amen? Like, do we believe that? Do we believe that God reveals Himself to us? If we do say amen. Otherwise, what are we doing here? See, in, in restoration, our, our, here's the desire. The desire is to build a, a, a culture uh, of expectation, we want to build a culture of expectation when it comes to seeking and responding to God. Listen, God, God is not playing like this cosmic game of hide and seek with you. And so James 4, 8, like we, we know it is a promise from God's word that those who draw near to, to God uh, experience the blessing of a God who longs to draw near to you. Amen. I'm going to need some feedback this morning. <laughs> but here's the thing. God, God will not, church, God will not tolerate our idols. God will not tolerate our idols. Christian, know, know this. If, you're, if your worship has gone stagnant, if your worship has gone stagnant, it may be because your life and your heart is saturated with idols. Some, some more subtle, good things that have become God things, but some more, more, more outright sinful and obvious. And your love, for, your love for that which is secondary is going to crowd out your affections for what should be your first love. And so this morning, we, 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 we examine God's call to, to turn away from idols, the, the kryptonite of expectant worship, the kryptonite of worship in the church. And, and, and we, we look at the, the Christian response to idolatry. Uh, now, before we do that, I've got to give you a little crash course. I'm going to fly through this. I want to give you a little background on Micah and, and specifically Micah chapter 1. So we're going to fly through this. So in 930 BC, this is, this is before Micah, the nation of Israel, uh, with its 12 tribes up on the screen, split. It splintered into two groups. You had the, the northern tribes of Israel, uh, the, the 10 tribes of the north. That went, uh, with, they splintered off under Jeroboam. Uh, and then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, you had the tribes of Judah and Benjamin that went with Rehoboam. Ultimately, they, they, they were faithful to the lineage of David. Keep going. So Micah... 
Micah was a prophet from the south. He was a prophet from Judah, outside of Jerusalem. Moresheth Gath was about 25 miles away from Jerusalem, and he brought a message of warning to both, even though he's from Judah, both the north, Samaria, and the south in Judah. Uh, and, and so he prophesied for a long time, 53 years, from 740 B.C. to 687. He came, so if you're thinking about the Old Testament, he comes after Hosea, he comes after Amos, and he's a contemporary of Isaiah. But, but where Isaiah, uh, in, in all of its 66 chapters, Isaiah is, he's kind of up in the heavens. He's focused on the splendor, the glory of God. Uh, uh, and, and even as Isaiah, the beginning of Isaiah starts out with this, this throne room scene of God, Micah's down on the earth. Micah's focus is on man. His focus is on the plight of man, the injustice that's taken place, the exploitation, but chiefly the idolatry, the idolatry of Israel that had led to this ripple effect of, of all their other woes and, and sins as a nation. John McKay says this, Michael wants to, uh, to puncture the complacency of those who feel that they have a secure relationship with God but who in reality are living as rebels against him. And then Richard Phillips says this, during Micah's lifetime, you, you, you had the Assyrians who would come and utterly destroy Samaria in 722 B.C. And they would deport, they deported the ten tribes uh, uh, out of the land. And, and so Micah's concern is primarily over Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom. He sees this judgment as, uh, in Samaria as a, as a warning that, that if his people, if the, the southern tribes of Judah, if they don't heed, they're going to be on the receiving end of God's judgment just like Samaria. And so time frame of Micah 1, this is just before Samaria's fall to uh, the nation of Assyria in 722 B.C. That's a crash course. Gives you a little background on what's happening. And there's a train. First thing is this. If we're going, uh, it, the, the Christian response to idolatry, first thing is this. You got to listen. There's irony in that. <laughs> Don't listen to the train. Listen to the Word of God. Look at verse 2. He says this, Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, in all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord from His holy temple, for behold, the Lord is coming out of His place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under Him, and the valleys will split open like wax before Him, like waters poured down a steep place. This is the transgression of Jacob. And for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols will lay waste from from. For from the fee of a prostitute they gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. So the first call is a call to listen. To listen. I want, I want you to look at your neighbor tell him, listen. I want you to look at your other neighbor tell him, listen. Micah, 
Micah is uniquely broken up into three sections. Three sections of judgment and salvation, each starting with this call to listen, to hear. So chapter 1, verse 2, it says hear. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says hear. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1, it says hear. And, and And it takes us back. It takes us back to Deuteronomy 6.1 in the Shema where, where Moses called Israel and he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says, Hear, listen. And herein lies such an important biblical truth. I need you all to hear this this morning, church family. Idolatry starts at the end of our reading and revering the Word of God. Let me say that again. Our idolatry starts at the end of our reading and revering the very Word of God. Richard Phillips said this. He said, the great need of every, uh, every generation is to pay attention to God. And I would add to the Word of God. But Phillips goes on. He says, yet the recurrent theme of history is that people tend to forget God, especially when times are good. When times are good. See, Micah, Micah will soon put both Samaria and Judah under the microscope of God's judgment. But he, but he starts with a telescope. He starts with a telescope and calls the whole earth. Look at the text. He calls the whole earth and everyone in it to pay attention. And immediately we're, we're transported to this, this courtroom scene as Micah uses judicial language to describe the Lord, Adonai, the Lord, as a witness against the world from His holy temple. My, my, my bride, Stephanie, her, her parents, my father and mother-in-law are, are, are both uh, judges and have been for years and, and, and I've heard many stories from the courtroom. Uh, some... some Serious, some, some comical. Uh, I've heard uh, over, over time about a less than credible witness or two. Uh, I remember when I served on a, on a jury in, in Bryan a few years ago. Uh, you know, I, I remember serving as a juror, and, and, and as, each, as each witness takes the stand, uh, like, uh, you're, you know, I don't know if you're doing this. I, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm like sizing them up. <laughs> I'm, I'm studying them. I'm trying, I'm trying to discern if they're reliable, if, they're, if, if their story checks out. And so like as, as, I'm, as I'm a juror, you know, this chiropractor gets up and I'm like, man, I, this chiropractor is hiding something, right? Like he, this, dude, this dude just like seems shady. And it's like, chill, chill, bro. He literally testified for 30 seconds that the lady's like C3 was out, okay? That was it. <laughs> He's not a mastermind criminal. Church fam, in Micah's prophecy, God himself is the witness. <laughs> God is the witness. Needless to say, the fact that he is creator The fact that He is sovereign, the fact that He knows all things, that He is omniscient, makes Him a pretty reliable witness. Amen? And so here in Micah 1, the the world is on trial. And and the question is, okay, why why the world? And why why is the world on on trial when, when the crime was committed by Israel? And here we 
we're seeing, what we're seeing is God's covenant expectation of his people Israel. He, he held them responsible for representing his message, for representing and reflecting the law and, and his, his character and his heart to the nations, to the rest of the world. But Israel, but Israel fell short. And it wasn't just Israel who would bear the consequences, though. The, the ripple effect would be felt much broader as the whole world would be called to account for failing to know and follow God. And so if you look at the text, verse 3 and 4, they, they paint a picture of a God who is transcendent, but who is also imminent and, and near. It says this, it says, he is coming out of his place. So if you think about like a father, this is a heavenly father, like we're, like we're, we're way past, like don't make me get up, <laughs> right? You ever heard that? Um, I, I never heard that as a child. Uh, like we're way past, don't make me get up. Like God's gotten up. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's about to go down. The imagery is, is that God is now upright and he's off his, he's standing up from his throne and almighty God is about to come near. But it's not like warm fuzzies like, oh my gosh, God's about to come near, right? He's about to come hold our hands and, and coddle us. No, like God's about to come near. He's about to administer some justice. And the imagery of his arrival is meant to paint a, pink, a picture that is, is all-encompassing. There, there, like there's no hiding when it talks about from the highest mountaintop to the, to the, the lowest valley, the, the picture is this. Like you cannot escape the presence of God. Can't escape the presence of God. And you, you get to verses 5 through 7. And to understand verse 5, you, you've got to understand how Micah, first how he's utilizing these names, but also you've got to understand uh, the, the messy history of Israel. And so, as you look at verse 5, Jacob is a reference to Israel as a, as a whole. Got it? Jacob is a, is a reference to Israel as a whole. Samaria, again, is, a, is the capital city. It's a reference to the northern tribes of Israel who had branched off under Jeroboam. Judah is a reference to the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the, the tribes that had been loyal to David's line. It says their, their transgression. So, so again, their, uh, in the Hebrew, their, their crime or their offense. Uh, so we're still using, we're continuing the courtroom language. But their transgression was that they had set up these, these high places. You say, man, what, what, what are we talking about? The high places were in Israel were literal geographical high places, hills and mountains where people went not not to worship Yahweh, not to worship God, but where pay, where there, there was pagan pagan Canaanite worship of Baal and Asherah that had been incorporated into the worship of Israel. So it's one thing for Micah, check this out, it's one thing for Micah to indict Samaria because he's from Judah. So you can almost imagine like his, his Judah, you know, the southern tribe brethren and sisters going, amen, yeah, those idol worshipers in Samaria, right? They got a real problem over there. But then in verse 5, in referencing Jerusalem, the temple itself, he's basically saying that they, 
Jerusalem and the temple itself had become a functional high place for idolatry, just like Samaria. And in verse 6, God promises to uncover, or, or in the Hebrew text, to remove the very foundations of Samaria. With all of its ornate stones that we know from history that King Omri and his, his son, King Ahab, uh, had built up. And when the text talks about the, it talks about the, the prostitute's wages, this, this could have been taken literally or, or figure, figuratively. Literally, literally, because pagan worship on the high places involved uh, cult prostitution as an act of worship, as they were worshiping the, these fertility gods and goddesses. But figuratively, it could have also been figurative because Israel had sold themselves out. They had, they had, in effect, prostituted themselves out to the other nations by embracing their gods. Which in turn led to these detestable practices of sexual immorality and child sacrifice. But ultimately, here, here's, here's what I want you to hear. The high, the high places revealed a much deeper issue. The high places in Israel revealed a root issue that, that went to the very desires of the pe God's people's heart. God's people, they didn't want Him anymore. God's people didn't want Him anymore. They would rather cling to their idols. And so I want, to talk, I want to talk a little application here. It's heavy, but church, like we, we need this. We need this, Amen. Micah's call was to listen. Micah's call was, was to hear the word of God. Christian, are you, are you listening? Because so often, like, we're, we're not expectantly worshiping. Like, we're, we're, not, we're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not experiencing revival in the presence of God in our lives because we, we, sprinkle, we sprinkle Jesus' language and rituals on top of the real desires of our heart, our idols. Our idol, our idol of security and and comfort and, and to preserve our, our lives when Jesus said lay your life down or, or our idol of notoriety I've, I need notoriety I need a name when scripture says it's only the name of Jesus that matters or, or our idol of sexual gratification and fulfillment it, even, even when it goes completely completely contradicts the Word of God. We say, God, no thanks. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it my way. I'll, I'll fulfill this sexual desire my way. I don't care about what you say. I don't care about your Word. It's an idol. Or an idol of achievement and success, e even if it has nothing to do with, with what God defines as successful when you stand before Him. Or, or our idol of sports and entertainment. Now, e even, even as the, the sad, sobering stories of, of so many of our sports and celebrity like entertainment heroes as we, we watch the 30 for 30s and we watch, we watch the documentaries of their lives that uh, fall apart when after all that glory, they, they're not happy and it didn't bring satisfaction. And it, and it didn't bring this, this sense of significance. 
Or how about our idol of, of wealth and more money and, and more stuff, even though Jesus, even though Jesus said, don't, you don't store it up on the earth. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You can't, you can't serve both, both God and money. Or, or how about our, our idols that we use to, to numb the pain? Our idols of alcohol, of, of drugs, and pills, and screens, and escape. When it's God's Word that says, Jesus, Jesus is your peace. And Jesus gives you a peace that will surpass your understanding even when you're walking through hard things. What am I saying, church? We're chasing idols. We're chasing idols. We're, we're, we're drinking, to use biblical language, we're, we're drinking from broken cisterns and turning away from the living water. We, we sing with our lips these, these songs of praise while, like Isaiah said, our hearts are far from God. And, and what I want to say is, there's more. Like Christian, like God, God has so much more for you. He has so much more for us. But here's what we need to understand. Cheap grace doesn't cover our idols. Cheap grace doesn't cover our idols. Like we, we don't get to assimilate them into our lives, into our faith, like Israel attempted to do on the high places. St. Augustine once said this. He said, idolatry. Augustine said, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything that ought to be worshipped. Let me say that again. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that is, that is meant to be worshipped. Church, let's, let's stop using God. Let's stop using God and let's start, let's start worshiping Him. Let's, let's listen and heed Micah's warning. John Calvin said this, he said, the, the human heart is, is an idol factory. The human heart is an idol factory, but, but here's the good news. Guess what, Christian? Praise God. God's given you a new heart. Amen? Praise God. God Christian, God's, God has made you a new creation. Amen? Praise, praise God that He has put the, the Holy Spirit of God indwells in you. Uh, and, and the Spirit of God has given you ears to hear and to listen and to obey the Word of God. Second thing this morning is, is, is this, the, 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 respond, the Christian response to idolatry is we, we got to lament. We've got to lament. Look at verse 8. It says this, For this I will lament and wail, I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him, lament. Look at your other neighbor and tell him, lament. See, verse 8. Verse 8 takes us out of the courtroom and into a funeral procession. <laughs> the, the language of the text is, is it's one of a funeral lament. Singing and, and wailing for the dead, which, which was a staple. This is how they, this is how they rolled at, at Jewish funerals. It was a staple in Jewish culture. But, it, but instead of grieving and crying for a lost family member or, or friend, uh, Micah is mourning the loss of Samaria. And it, his broken heart, like it, it revealed, like the, the, Micah wasn't just like lobbing judgment bombs at people, like his heart broke. 
And it revealed the heart of God for his people. Now, most, most conservative commentators believe that this, this prophecy of Michael 1, it takes place before the fall of Samaria in, in 722 B.C. However, at this point, Micah, Micah sees it is, is already, already inevitable. So, so even as you get to verse 9, the, the warning in verse 9 is, is really a warning for Judah. It's a, it's a warning for Jerusalem. Because historically, we, we know a crazy stories in 2 Kings 18-20, through 20, but we, we know that the threat of Assyria and God's judgment, it did come all the way to the very gates of Jerusalem. In 701 B.C., about 20 years later, it came to the very gates of Jerusalem. Uh, and, and the army of Sennacherib uh, and his commander came and they, and they taunted Hezekiah, King Hezekiah in Judah. And they mocked the God of Israel. <laughs> and that night, the angel of God wrecked shop and 185,000 Assyrians were killed in 2 Kings 18. God showed up and fought for his people. Amen. And here's what's cool about Micah. So, so many times you're reading these Old Testament prophets and, and like what's, what's a little or, or a lot depressing is these prophets are prophesying. They're calling Israel to repentance and Israel's like, nah, <laughs> no thanks. We'll keep, we'll keep doing what we're doing. We'll, we'll, keep, uh, we'll keep chasing idols. We'll keep abusing people, exploiting people. We'll keep, we'll keep pursuing injustice. In Isaiah and in, in, in in Micah's day, God would use both Isaiah and Micah to prophesy and to speak truth to King Hezekiah. And, and the, the nation would turn. And it was a measure of, of revival in Hezekiah's time. But, but long before it got to that, that critical moment in the miracle, the prophet Isaiah, Micah was crying out in lament over the idolatry of Israel. And here's what's troubling. Here's what's troubling. As you look around the culture today, like church fam, even in the church culture, we do it too. But in the culture, we, like, we're lamenting over all the wrong things. Like we're getting upset about all the wrong things. We lament the wrong things. We lament, we lament when our, like our sports team loses, right? We, we, we lament over the loss of celebrities who like, you don't even know and they don't care about you. We lament the loss of our possessions and our stuff. And we lament when we don't get our own way. Or we lament when something makes us uncomfortable. But what we're not lamenting is the idolatry in our hearts. We're not, we're not upset about that. We're upset about everybody else's stuff, but we're not upset about the idolatry that's lurking and residing in our own heart and mind. I mean, we've Hear this, we, we've, we've created a culture in, in, in a, a Christian culture where rather than, rather than being appalled by our idols, God, God approves them. And it's, it's, this sort of, it's this sort of American Christianity that, that has God as the, the dispenser of blessings in the, in the backer of like all your desires and ambitions. You know, amen. No! Like that's that's not that's not the that's not the God of the scriptures. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible says, follow me. 
The Jesus of the Bible says, take up your cross and, and follow me and die. Die to yourself. The Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible says that, that your body is the very temple of the Holy Spirit. The Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible says that you, Christian, were bought with a price. You were bought with the, the blood of Jesus who died for every sin. And so, Christian, listen and, and then lament over your idols. Lament, church, lament and, and, and grieve that we've, we've become master syncretists who, who have perfected the art. We've perfected the art of, of diluting grace with our, with our graven images. And of, of, of feigning worship while, while, while holding on to the fake. Church, Paul, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, to, to flee from idolatry. But, but, I, but I think before, before we flee, listen, some of you need to hear this. Before you flee, you, you, need, to, you need to get to this place where the music of Jesus is, is sweeter to you than the music of this world and all of its trappings. You need to get to this place where like the call of Jesus, it's got to become louder than the beckoning of this broken world and all of its false promises. And before, before we flee our idols, we must first rightly lament them and mourn that we chased after them in the first place. Third thing this morning is this, as we look at verse 9. It says this, for her wound Talking about Samaria is incurable. And is it, it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. The third response, the Christian response to idolatry is this. Is to, it is to look to Christ. Amen? It is to look to Christ. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, look to Christ. Look at your other neighbor tell them, look to Christ. See, though, though, though the text ends on a, on a somber note for Samaria, like hope, hope still lingers for Jerusalem, Judah's capital city, restoration family. Here, here is the beauty of the gospel. Ready? Here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is the healer of incurable wounds. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the healer of incurable wounds. Like, do, like, do we believe that? Like, if, if we don't believe that, like, what, what are we doing here? Not, not just for this lifetime, but for a hope and eternity. Like, like, because we've all walked through hard things, and we all deal with sin and brokenness. And some of you have walked through unimaginable hurt, and you've been wounded. But if we don't believe this, what are we doing? Church, Jesus is the healer of incurable wounds. Amen? There are a thousand reasons. We chase our idols. Uh, often, our reasons are just downright selfish. <laughs> they, they are downright, they're just downright sinful. For others, listen, what, what's happening was we're looking for our idols to comfort us from a deep place of, of woundedness and hurt. But listen, e either way, Jesus is still the answer. Amen? Jesus is still the answer. First Peter 2, 
24, it says, it says this. He Himself, Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds, by His stripes, you have been healed. So, so Christian, because of Jesus' wounds, your wounds are healed. Amen? Because He bore your sins, you, you don't have to bear their heavy burden anymore. Because He gave His life, you can now live in His righteousness, unmoved by, by the pull of all those idols. You can live a, a life, Christian, you can live a life of purpose and, and mission, unbound by the carnage of sin and death. But here's the deal, you've got to look to Christ. You have to look to Christ. As, as a parent, Stephan, I know this. When, when one of my kids is hurt, when one of my kids is hurt or, or upset or, or maybe they've messed up and in the motion and the emotion of the moment, they're, they're, so, they're, so, fix, they're so fixated on the problem that they, that they lose perspective. And so often, Steph and I, like, we're, standing, we're standing right next to, to, uh, to them and we're saying, Ben, Benjamin, we're saying, Ruthie, or, or whatever Brooks kiddo it is uh, we're dealing with. And when we say, we say, listen, look, son, daughter, look at me. Look at me. Just look, look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. And often, once, once our kid will fix their gaze on, on mom or once they fix their gaze on dad and they, they know that I'm there, it's in that moment that, that yes, it, at times we, we, get to, we get to bring correction. But so much more than that, we get to show them compassion. And we get to show them unconditional love. And if that's the case for broken human parents, how much more for a perfect heavenly father? How much more for a perfect heavenly father when we're just caught up in all of it and we're, we're caught in the moment and the emotion of it and we're overwhelmed and God's just saying, look to Jesus, like look to me. Look at my eyes. Look to me. Christian, look to Jesus and, and you will find not only the motivation to, to demolish and, and dismantle your idols, you will find the means of living that abundant life that God has called you to live. Now close, let me close with this this morning and then we're done. I'll close with this. D.L. Moody. Dwight Moody said this, you, you don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. Moody said, whatever you love more than God is your idol. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. See, I, idolatry is a, is a cosmic offense against God. Why? Because if God is who Scripture says He is, He is a, he is a personal God. He is a personal God who has created you in His image and hardwired you for relationship with Him. He has hardwired you for relationship with Him. That's why that, that God-sized hole in your soul is never satisfied with all your idols. 
You are, you are tinkering with the temporal when you were designed for the divine. Let me say that again. We are, we are down here tinkering with what is temporal when God has designed us for the divine, for Him. And Christian, you've you got to grasp this truth. When you, when you exchange the glory of God for, for these man-made substitutes, you're not, you're not just abandoning God's design. You're abandoning any hope of, of real delight. You're, you're abandoning any, any hope of real, of real joy. And, and when the church, listen, when the church becomes like the world, and, and worships the same false gods of the world, we, we can no longer be the light of the world. Because the world's looking at us and we're chasing after the same, same things that they are. And so Christian, here's the call. Church, here, here's the call. Let's, let's turn from our idols. Let's turn from our idols. Listen, hear the word of God. Listen, lament, and look to Jesus. Y'all pray with me this morning.